Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, folks. You're all very welcome back to another episode of a Celtic Soul podcast with me, Andrew Millen. This episode of the podcast has been kindly sponsored by O'Shea's Restaurant in Temple Bar, Dublin. And Martin and his staff are looking forward to welcoming everybody back on the 29th of June. Later on I will be talking to Bobby Petter about his career at Celtic and life on the DJ circuit. We will also be chatting about racism in society and in football. But first up we go to Philadelphia where we caught up with Charlie Lord. Charlie who was born and brought up in Belfast but now lives on the east coast of America, a lifelong Celtic supporter. Uh, delighted today to be joined by Philadelphia-based, Belfast-born, Celtic supporter, Charlie Lord. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm doing good, thank you, Millish. How are you? Yeah, not bad, Charlie. Not bad. It'd be better when the pubs are open. Oh, 100%. We, we're, uh, they're open here for, like, um, you can order food for pickup and stuff, you know, um, but you can't go in and have a pint. It's, uh, it's obviously different over here in terms of... Uh, how they're dealing with this pandemic. Actually, look, there's so much going on here in America at the moment, Millish. I don't even know where to start, you know, between pandemics and race riots and Black Lives Matter, you know, no Celtic to watch on the TV. It's, uh, but at least it's a beautiful sunny day. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Indeed, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Down there at Paddy's Pub. Oh, one of the best, one of the best I was in. Charlie, I want to just take you back to uh, the start. When did you leave Belfast? 1987. Born in 66, I'm 54 years old, so I'm kind of an older vintage, you know. Um, yeah, uh, left in 87, I just turned 2021. 20, I figured, uh, you know, maybe something, uh, something could be out there in the world. Sunshine, different life, try something different out of Belfast, you know. 33 years ago it was now. And Belfast, unrecognisable city now from the city you left? Yeah, very much so. It's, uh, it's improved a lot, you know. Um, things moved on. Hopefully they'll continue to improve. 
Uh, I do try to get home, obviously, over the years. I've made a big effort to get home. My father still lives there and lives alone. He's 80 years old. So I try to get back to see him as much as I can because that time with, with him and with family and friends is invaluable when you've been away for so long. You really get to kind of understand the value of it, how important it is. Like when you're young, when I was young, and I think it's for a lot of immigrants, you know, a young person, you kind of embrace the whole idea of the adventure and going out there in life and seeing what, you know, lies ahead and taking on the challenges. But now that I'm 54, I'm married, American wife, American kids, um, and my daughter Grace is 17, my son Connor's 14, and now as an older guy and a parent and a father and a husband, you kind of look back when you were younger and you, now you kind of begin to see stuff you've left behind, you know, because it's, it's just been a long time and you miss so much in terms of family and weddings for friends and kids getting born and even my own nieces and nephews, you know, kind of not seeing them so much over the years. 33 years is a long time, Milish, you know. And Charlie, obviously uh, the, the media always paints the, the picture of Belfast and the six counties as they paint as the troubles. Um, yeah. Others, others look at as the conflict. What are your memories of growing up in Belfast, Charlie? Well, it was, uh, it was just kind of our normality, you know. You know, I'm looking at what's happening here in the United States at the moment in terms of Black Lives Matter and, and the civil disorder. I can't help but see broad parallels with the general experience at home when I was a boy. Um, I was about four years old when that all started, the, the troubles, the conflict, like you say, whatever term you want to use. Um, so I grew up during the 70s, you know, and going to school and stuff, and then the hunger strikes and going to secondary school during the 80s. And then by 87, I'd left. Um, but in terms of social, political, and economic issues that affected Irish Catholic community back there at that time, um, and what I'm seeing here in the United States with the social, political, economic issues that affect the African-American community, I can't help but see some broad parallels, you know. Uh, but that might just be my own, well, it's my own worldview and what I kind of... Belfast leaves an impression on you when you grow up there. It's, um, how would I say, it's, it's how you kind of interacted with the world, experienced the world, and it forms your worldview, you know? So, yeah, I see some parallels with uh, what's happening here in the United States at, the, at this moment in time. Now, Charlie, obviously Belfast, it's, it's a big, big uh, Celtic-supporting city, and, and you leave, and then obviously you didn't have the media outlets you have now to follow the team. What was it like in those early years and, and, and through the decades, following Celtic from so far away? Well, it, it was tough. I mean, as you remember, probably you know, in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, there was a lot of folks and young people leaving Ireland because there, there, was, there was no job opportunities and stuff, you know. And a lot of, the, a lot of us came here to the United States, and there's a, there's a lot of us here in, in the cities, Chicago, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, etc. And in those days, I mean, we're talking before the internet. And you, you just couldn't get to see Celtic. You would maybe get a, a newspaper. It's, it was just, it was barely, it was basically impossible for a couple of years. And then when the internet came along, things got a bit better. And we had, we had our Celtic supporters clubs in the 90s. And now the, I remember, remember the early days of Celtic TV and stuff. And it would like buffer all the time. It was just a nightmare. It was a pain in the, but, but, uh, but now it's great. I mean, you can just, I watch every single Celtic game, you know, whether it's, Anything that I get my hands on, whether it's preseason, whether it's the, the early qualifying games, uh, Europe, and then obviously regular season games, um, you, you just you, yeah, I just consume it. Like I, I'll 
I'll study the match. I'll, I'll be wanting to see what the team selection's like. Who's the new player? How's he playing? What tactics are we using? You know, everything, you know. And uh, yeah, hey, look, that's kind of like my downtime. I, I work hard here in the United States, as most of us do. And uh, my downtime is, is to watch Celtic, and I just really enjoy it, you know. Yeah, you mentioned Walk Charlie. You're a college lecturer. Yeah, I teach, uh, I teach business. I've been teaching business for 20 years, department chair of the business faculty. Yeah, I also have uh, an internet company called CelticClothing.com. Um, again, with the internet, when, when that kind of came along, I kind of took to that pretty quickly because that was a way to keep in touch with home and get news from home, you know. So I adapted pretty quickly and uh, embraced it, started a, an, inter, an internet company. I import Irish clothes uh, and uh, my target audience is Irish Americans. Um, so we have a good digital presence right now, you know, 42,000 fans or something on Facebook and we're on Instagram and obviously our website. So yeah, uh, that keeps me very, between teaching business and running an internet business, I, I stay very, very busy. But America, man, you, you gotta you gotta work hard here. I mean, there's there's very little in terms of um, you know a, a safe social safety net or anything. You know, I think you can get unemployment here, but I think it only lasts for like six months. You know, so it's kind of like you you have to. And look, I'll be perfectly honest. When I arrived here, I was an illegal immigrant straight out of Belfast, so I didn't have a choice. If I didn't work, I didn't eat. It was that was just the way of it. You know, you had to go to work. Now, look. We had a big network here. There was a lot of Irish lads and getting work. If you were ready to work and willing to work, uh, it was there, you know. So you just kind of had to get on with it. Now, Charlie, you, you support a lot of Irish businesses. You buy Irish. You import yeah. into the States uh, high-end tweeds and the like. Uh, I know because uh, I know the last Muavo you dropped into me in the, in the more than 90 minutes office here and I think you'd been to Kerry and you'd been to Donegal. You saw us a lot of yeah, we'll, uh, as, as you probably know, we sell a lot of, like, as you say, like tweed flat caps and waistcoats. Over here, they call them vests, um, or tweed, tweed waistcoats, and a lot of Irish, a lot of Irish wool. Um, but yeah, we have Hannah Hats up in Donegal there. We work with a lot, and um, Aaron Woolen Mills in County Mayo, and Muckross Weavers down in Kerry, and uh, Emerald Isle down, actually not too far from you, Emerald Isle are based in Navin, which I think is only about... 30 minutes west of you? Yeah, it's, it's, we were a couple of boys from Navin in the supporters club. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so I work, uh, I work a lot with and yeah, I support all those Irish companies and try to promote Ireland and just in the United States to the Americans. I mean, uh, I mean, the UPS guy was delivering just a few days ago and he was talking about going to work. His name is Kevin Breen is his name. He's an American fella. And um, he was saying, hey, Charlie, I'm thinking about going to Ireland and taking the family over. Um, not this year, obviously, but next. Um, and I stood there telling him about different places to go and different things to see. And I was like an ambassador, you know, promoting Ireland for the tourist industry. But nearly every Irish Ameri uh, immigrant does that. You know, we're always, we're like individual ambassadors. We're, we're the diaspora. And we kind of speak up for Ireland, promote Ireland without even really knowing it, you know. But we just do it instinctively because it's our country. It's our homeland, you know. While, while we're talking about the, the Celtic Cloud and Charlie, I have to get my own plug in because uh, you've kindly agreed to stock my Celtic Soul merchandise and become the American partner. Oh, absolutely. We are the Philadelphia office, my friend. We are the North American office. And uh, 
I cannot wait to uh, to get that going, you know. And it's a different audience, obviously, you know, being a Celtic fan, loving Glasgow Celtic. And, you know, it's there's a lot of Scottish and Irish lads here who get that. The Americans won't get it. Most Irish Americans, like even in our club, um, the Plowboys down in Centre City, Philadelphia, we do have Irish Americans in there. So it's unfair to say some will get it. But it's a much smaller audience, I think, is what I'm trying to say. But it's a very specific audience, and it's an audience that needs the opportunity to get some of that fan gear for fans, by fans, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. It's a there's a there's a Celtic soul um, theme, you know, the old mod stuff, the old two tone ska stuff. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun and. Uh, yeah, we're just going to make it available online. Click, click, CelticClothing.com. You can get all that awesome Celtics. I'd say it'll be ready for launch, and I'd say ready in about a month. And the launch will probably coincide with the, hopefully the start of the new season. I'm not quite sure what date. Are they talking about August? For the August the 1st, I believe. Okay, yeah. And I'm hearing that they're talking about finishing off the Scottish Cup. Yes, that looks like that's going to happen too. Um, that is... Well, it's only three games. Yeah, but I mean, that's going to be golden because that puts the quadruple treble back on the table, right? Sure does. The quadruple. Yeah, because I, I, I remember falling asleep one night in bed. I'm like, oh, man. I think it was just after we would have been awarded the league. And I'm going to bed. I'm thinking, oh, man, the quadruple treble. That would have been great. I mean, that was stolen away from us. And now it's back on the table. So I'm, I'm really happy about that, you know? Sure is, Charlie. Charlie, I just want to talk a little bit um, because... I've met you numerous times over the years. I was met you in Las Vegas, I think, and then you stayed, yep. with, you stayed with me when you attended a festival in the league many years yep. ago. And since then, we've met a couple of times. You've yep. always been very good to me when I go to Philadelphia for the Plowboys gigs. But as someone who integrated into U.S. society, you embraced politics, but you didn't embrace the American sports. No, no. I just didn't have the time or the inclination or the interest, you know. Been to a few. Like, I went to baseball just to check it out. And, you know, it's not my thing. And I've been to a couple of American football games, um, Eagles, obviously. Um, but, no, it just wasn't for me. I mean, football and Celtic is, is what I'm interested in. And maybe it's, you know, there's only so much time when you're, when you're working. And as I say, you're a father and you're working and teaching and doing all this stuff. There's only so much time you have. Um, you know, if I'm sitting watching Celtic, you know, I can't, an American football game will last three hours, you know? So it's just not my thing. You know, I just didn't get into it. My son, Connor, now he loves the American football. He plays in his school team and all that, and he's all into it, you know? But uh, I wouldn't have a clue who or what he's talking about. <laughs> I Look, it's only because he was a, what was he called? He called a safety. I didn't even know what a safety was, you know, until he started playing that position, you know? I mean, it's it's nuts to me. I mean, they have two teams. They have They've one team for attack, offense, and then they bring them all off when the other team's got the ball, and they bring on a whole new team for defense. I didn't even know that, you know. And, and, and 23 years, and you're still learning. <laughs> I'm still learning. <laughs> I tell you, but, but like, Charlie, yeah. you've always found time to come home to see Celtic and go to World Cups. Oh my God! I mean, yeah. I mean, getting you know, as I said yeah, earlier, there, I'll watch all the games here at home, like. You kind of have to understand, because of the time difference, you know, a Celtic match could come on at half past seven in the morning, on a Saturday morning. You know, it might be a, what is it, is a 12.30 kickoff in Scotland. So I'm sitting downstairs with my cup of tea, and my wife and kids are upstairs sleeping, and it's like daddy time, you know, and I'll sit and watch the whatever it is, midweek games, I'll watch every damn game. 
So to get home and be able to go to Celtic Park and see Celtic and just the day out and seeing old friends, a couple of pints, bit of crack, you know, I just, I love that. And uh, yeah, it is a long day when you're traveling all the way from Ireland and you're on the boats and buses and all that stuff. And then all the way home. Um, yeah, it's a long day. But that's kind of like living. Yeah, that's, that's just, I just I enjoy it. To me, that is a great big treat. That's just a wonderful day out, you know. And you mentioned the World Cup. Yes, I was at the World Cup in, in Russia. And that was, a, that was good. I actually got to the World Cup final, which was um, a once in a lifetime kind of, experience an opportunity you know so uh that's memorable not as memorable however as the scottish cup final at hamden park if you remember <laughs> when for the first invincible travel i was just thinking about it today um yeah we were one nil down uh johnny hayes had scored for aberdeen and then armstrong equalized and then Rogic got a late winner i mean that was t- tremendous and and we tierney he was at hospital and then he came back through the crowd to lift the cup and the passion that he was showing was fantastic um and the reason i was thinking about that i don't know why it crossed my mind but that day i thought that um armstrong was was player of the match that day i don't know if you remember it in much detail i mention it because you were sitting about six seats down from me five seats down you obviously remember the match of course oh i do yeah what did you think of our i thought armstrong was just phenomenal that day charlie i remember seeing armstrong we we went to dundee to play dundee united when ronnie was manager and uh we were beating 2-1 i think jackie mcnamara was dundee united manager and he was the standout player that day. It's funny, we, we went in and signed him and we signed McCoy Stevens, who was who played well that yeah. day as well. We signed the two of them. And yeah. uh, Dundee just they never recovered from that. They had to sell them, I suppose, because they you know, to get good money in, but they never recovered. But but we kicked on and, and I do believe that by Ronnie signing them that it probably saved his job because people were calling yeah. for Ronnie's head that day leaving Tanadice. Yeah, no, you're, no, you're right. And, uh, you know, Armstrong, you know, some days great. You know, I just that particular day, that cup final, you mentioned uh, the World Cup final in Moscow. Um, yeah, it was great. But, you know, I didn't have a, a horse in the race. It was the French against the Croatians. And hey, look, it was an amazing experience. But when you're sitting at the Scottish Cup final or watching Celtic, you have a horse in the race and you're screaming and you're shouting and you're passionate and you're involved. And I remember that day. I cheered more that day when Armstrong scored <laughs> than I did when Rogic scored because I knew the way the game was going. We needed to get that equalizer. Because don't forget, I'd, <laughs> I'd come all the way from America for that match, you know. <laughs> so I did not want to see us lose the game. So when he scored at that time, it was pretty soon after Aberdeen had scored, I remember. But when he scored, I mean, that got us back in the match. I just knew from the flow and the ebb and flow of the game and having played football all my life as a child growing up in Belfast, I mean, I just, I just, we knew, I knew we needed to get back into the match, and and he was just phenomenal. Later on in the game, his distribution was great. You know, the, the pace he was playing with at, but look, you know, he he moved on. Um, I don't know if he was pushing for the move or what, but uh, anyway, that's enough about uh, Armstrong. Players, you know? players come and go, uh, sadly, yeah. but, but the fans remain. Yes, yes. Charlie, I mentioned politics because I do want to touch on politics in America. I know you remember the Democrat Party, so I suppose you're going to be biased towards Mr. Trump. Hmm. Charlie, just looking in from the outside and someone who would share some of your views, although not a member of a political party, I look at Trump from a distance and I see a man hiding behind the American flag. Yeah, I'm what they call in America, um, I'm a registered Democrat. So I'm not like a member of their party as such. 
but um, I'm registered that I vote in Democratic primaries. So I would be, yeah, very much in the Democratic side of things and uh, very much, you know, opposed to Donald Trump. And I mean, like, I, I don't know where to start with that guy. Malish, he, uh, would you be a Bernie can, Sanders supporter? Well, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I voted for, we had primaries here last week, and I voted for Bernie Sanders, even though he's no longer on the ticket. I wanted the Democrats to know. I wanted the party officials to know. It was a protest vote on my part because Bernie, Bernie had the support of the people, but the, the, the party organization and apparatus didn't want Bernie as the nominee to go against Trump because, you know, Bernie had said, look, I'm a socialist. He's been very open about it. And I, the Democrats don't, they, they don't think you can win on that ticket. And look, they might be right. So they wanted uh, Biden. So I voted for Bernie anyway, even though I knew it was just basically spoiling my vote, but I wanted them to know. And many other people do the same thing. So yeah, it'll be Bernie, it'll be Biden against Trump. Trump, I, I may as well just say it like to me, he's a snake oil salesman. He he panders to the Christian right. He's not a Christian or a religious guy in any way. You know, he just wants the Christian right votes and he lies to working class rural whites and tells them he's gonna bring back, you know, manufacturing and their jobs and all this stuff. And oh, he's just I'm sure you've seen it in your media. He, to me, he's just a barefaced liar. He will say one thing. And 20 minutes later, he'll turn around and try and claim, no, I didn't say that, you know? It, it's just, it, it's unbelievable. It, it's, it's terrible. Just, it, it's tough. I mean, when he got elected, uh, my wife and I were thinking, okay, well, how are we going to tell the kids? You know, it was, it was tough. I mean, I seen, <laughs> I seen women and stuff crying when, when he was elected, you know? Um, but look, on the, on the bright side and the upside, um, there's, an, there's an election coming along in November. I was completely wrong the last time because I could not see any way Donald Trump would get elected as president of the United States. So I was, I was totally wrong. But for what it's worth, again, I just can't see him winning. I mean, I, I just hope we, he can be defeated. I hope we beat him. I feel that I don't want to count my chickens before they're hatched, but I feel that he is going to lose this next election. I, I really do. I mean, it would be, it would be terrible if he won it. I don't know what else to say to you on that one. Um, COVID-19 caught everyone on the hop. No one really was ready for something like this. Some countries dealt with it very well. Others not so good. The pictures from New York were very sad. The pictures of the open graves. Yes, yeah, I, I did see that, yeah. Um, yeah, look, yeah, nobody's seen it coming. Um, I think we could have been better prepared. We had time. We had a month before, you know, I think the first cases were popping up in the United States, maybe, I don't know if it was early February or whatever, but, you know, we had time, like while the Spanish and the Italians were, were suffering from it, we had time to prepare. Um, and we had Donald Trump running around saying that it's all fake news, that it's going to go away. He's drinking hydrochlorophyll or whatever it is he's, he's on. And I mean, that's just incompetence and bad leadership, uh, unpresidential. And the same thing is happening around the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, he's divisive and confrontational, um, just atrocious, atrocious leadership for, for America. So I hope and pray that um, he's gone in November and I will probably have a wee glass of whiskey or a pint of Smithix in celebration once he goes, you know. And you, you mentioned um, George Floyd there and Black Lives Matter. Um, the protests yeah. are not just in America, they're, they're throughout the world. 
you know, people are kicking over statues. He outlawed, you know, I suppose it's not an organization, Antifa. It's it's yeah. more it's more a it's more a state of mind, you know, yeah. which, which groups support. He makes statements or he puts something out on Twitter, but you, obviously some people, his core vote in America, as you say, the Christian right and the far right, they they just can't get enough of this guy. Yeah, again, look, he has his base, he has his core support, I think, and, and some of them are extremely loyal. Um, but, you know, he's, he's a dangerous character. I mean, he's telling his people, don't believe the media, don't believe the press. I mean, I don't want to uh, equate him and compare him to past regimes that had similar type tactics. Um, but, you know, he, he's a dangerous, a dangerous character altogether. Um, yeah, he did. Uh, he put Antifa on the terrorist uh, list. Um, but yet he does not do that with, with the, the far right. I mean, there's a lot of people running around. There was guys walking into city halls and, and, and places of governance armed to their teeth. And he didn't put them on watch lists or terrorist lists. He didn't even do anything about it. And not that it's, a, it's more of a policing matter, that one. But the Americans have a right to bear arms. There are 310 million guns available here in the United States. And that's basically a gun for every man, woman, and child in the country. I think the population is about 327 million, something like that. Wow. So that's just a massive amount of weapons. Um, look, the, the, the gun industry and all and the NRA have a lot to answer for because this country is flooded with weapons, you know. Which brings me kind of circle back around to that, that race issue. You know, obviously... You know, there are social, political, and economic issues affecting the African-American community that need to be addressed. That's pretty much a given in my view. Um, you can see the disparities. I can go through some of the, the details on that if you wish. But um, when we're, when you're, if you're looking at it from a policing perspective, 310 million weapons. When you're a cop in America, every cop has a gun. Every cop has a taser. Every cop wears uh, bulletproof vests. Because when they're pulling up, when they're bringing someone in on a traffic stop, they don't know if the person is armed. They don't know if there's drugs. They don't know how they're going to react. You know, if you're a guard back home or a British police officer in Scotland, you're, you're probably a bit more comfortable in that there's less of a threat of weapons from the individual that you're talking to. So here in the States, I mean, those cops have instantaneous decisions to make. They're, they're antsy. They're, they're highly aware and you know, and I think that's contributing to a lot of... There's, there's nothing you can do about the, the guns. I mean, there's just too many of them. They, there's some guy walks into a, a school in Connecticut some years ago and kills 20 little kids, little kids, and they still didn't do anything about the guns in America, you know? And when, when you let something like that go, you know, you begin to realize me as a Democrat, it's like, damn, we, we're not going to be able to change this. And even if we could change the gun legislation... There's 310 million weapons already available in this country, so it's a massive issue. So, look, I think what I'm, what I'm kind of touching on from a police perspective is they're trying to police in a very dangerous, volatile, and they're putting their lives at risk on a daily basis, and there's no doubt they are making mistakes, and African-American people are getting killed, and again, social, political, economic um, disparities and discrimination against the African-American community, which could be systematic, it could be more subtle. I personally think it's a little more, it's a subtle type of discrimination, um, you know, with taxation and underfunding of um, African-American schools, and um, oh, there's, a, there's a wide range of issues. I don't want to take up all your time. Yeah, no, no, Charlie. Um when I put it out at the last podcast, who, who the guests were and what we would be talking about, 
someone did say to me, why are you having someone that's going to talk about what's going on in America on, on a Celtic football podcast? And I said, it's not a Celtic football podcast. It's, it's called Celtic Soul. I said, the fanzine yeah. is called More Than 90 Minutes. We want guests on here to speak about that are Celtic fans and Celtic players. And we will speak about mostly about Celtic, but there is issues. Celtic supporters in Glasgow went out as a protest yeah. and renamed the streets in, in, in Glasgow. This wasn't the act of someone just coming up with a harebrained idea. This was taught out and done. You know, these signs had to be made. They had to be put up. I've seen that. I've seen that. And uh, There's always been a political element within the Celtic support. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the Lazio game, um, yeah, you could see their fans. I mean, they're giving swastika salutes and stuff, you know. Uh, and, and that's the antithesis of everything that Celtic kind of stand for and believe in, whether it be our charitable origins with Brother Wilfred and our anti-fascist stance uh, that, that exists amongst many of the fans and exhibited there by the support, by that act, if I might even use the term, an act of resistance or perhaps just highlighting inequities where I think they're in Scotland and Glasgow. I think those street names uh, were named after um, slave owners or people who had made money from the slave trade. Yes. Uh, and that, that type of action can maybe raise awareness in Glasgow itself. It was non-violent. I thought it was very creative. I thought it was very good. And that can maybe raise awareness in, in Glasgow City Hall to maybe kind of rethink some of those things and where they stand, you know. So I thought it was very creative and Again, non-violent. I kind of liked it. It was a it was a statement, a protest, and yeah, I, I like that one. I got a few texts on that one. People sent me uh, videos and stuff. You know, the point um, is, Charlie. For years, we've been told that um, you know politics doesn't mix with sport, and now we have black sports people, very high-profile sports people, not only in America but around the world, coming out. And and I, I commend um, any football team that done it as well. I see the Liverpool team with a forced, I think, to do it in England to. Uh, to go around the centre circle and go down on one knee. I think, you know, I, I would be surprised if, if Jürgen Klopp wasn't involved in that because he seems to be a forward-thinking radical manager. Yeah, and like politics and, and sport is always is difficult, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm in it for Celtic. I'm in it because I love football. And the politics aspect of it, again, we're all individuals. We're all human beings. I, we have our opinions, you know. Mine is tempered and coloured by my own life experiences growing up and now here I am 30 years away in a different country 33 years so I understand totally you know and, and about the, the difficulties when you're talking about social issues and political issues and economic issues that are wider and broader than than Celtic Football Club but yeah it, it's a difficult topic there's no doubt about it you know um, I hope that it can be addressed here in the United States. And I think you mentioned earlier, it's not even just here in America. I see protests in London. I see the one you're referring to in Glasgow. But large gatherings in London and in Paris and different places, which kind of brings me to some uh, another point that can't be forgotten. And I think we're taking the eye off the ball here in the United States, again, because of bad political leadership. We're in the middle of a pandemic, you know? There's coronavirus, COVID-19, and yet we're seeing... Tens of thousands of people marching on the White House and in Philadelphia and all around the country. So there's very little um, um, social distancing going on. Um, we're trying to open up the country. Um, and I think perhaps you know, we need to remain cautious and vigilant because we are not out of this thing yet. It's tough for me because, you know, I can't even go home to Ireland anymore. You're, you're, you're doing two weeks quarantine. 
So, I mean, that's if I can even get a flight, you know? So it's, it's, uh, it's just very difficult. I'm concerned that we'll see a bigger spike here in the States because of all the civil disorder and the marching, you know? Hey, look, it's just the timing was difficult, you know? It, it had to be done. And I think it's raised the awareness. And like you say, it's it's certainly, if not global, it's certainly pan-European and across the United States because I'm seeing international um, solidarity um, marches, etc. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the, the pandemic concerns me. There's no doubt about it. Like it's it's that is global, and we're we're not out of it. You know. Well, uh, hopefully, Charlie, the next time we speak, we'll be one step closer, and you'll be a step closer getting home to Belfast to see your dad and getting across the water to see. The other love of your life, Shelby. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I look forward to, uh, yeah, to when I can get back home there and have a pint, chat with your good self, maybe stop by the studio again one of these days on my way up from Dublin. And uh, yeah, I very much look forward to it, you know. And hey, listen, um, I want to say thank you to you because the, the Celtic fanzine.com and the More Than 90 Minutes fanzine. Um, you know, the podcast, the TV state, the content that you're putting out about Celtic is is top quality. I love it. It's got me through this pandemic, keeping in touch with Celtic. I mean, there's the internet and you're able to deliver this stuff and, and, and at a click of a button um, you get good quality content. So thank you for that. And I look forward to seeing you again, buddy, when I can get back home to Ireland. Thank you very much, Charlie. And I'll give you the fiver for that uh, nice comment. <laughs> and I see you. Charlie, thanks a million and stay safe. Uh, yes, you too, Melis. God bless. God bless, friend. Slanga. Ah, thanks again there to Charlie. Always loved chatting to him. Charlie would chat to anyone about Celtic. Just after I chatted to Charlie, Twitter and Facebook went absolutely mental when Celtic announced the virtual season tickets and there would be no reduction for games that you couldn't attend. It's really, really upset a lot of fans. And I'm, I'm hoping we can get someone from Celtic on the podcast to chat about it because there are some questions that need to be answered. On Saturday, I wrote a piece for CelticFanzine.com about the fiasco of the refunds for last year's tickets. And I was hoping that Celtic would have learned something from it, but obviously not. It just seems to be that they just really want to piss the fans off this summer. Some fans haven't walked in a couple of months. Some fans are broke. Some fans need a break. We should be looking forward to new players coming in to bolster the squad. We should be looking forward to doing the 10 in a row. And instead, here we are arguing over season book prices for games we can't attend. Now that that's off my chest, here's how I get on with Bobby Petter. I'm delighted to be joined on the show by Bobby Petter. Bobby, living in Glasgow now after he signed for Celtic by John Barnes, a product of the Feyenoord team from Rotterdam, his hometown, before moving to Ipswich and then on to Celtic. How are you doing, Bobby? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I mean, Hayfever is a killer, but you know what I mean? It is what it is. Um, yeah, but I'm good. Keeping busy during the lockdown? Yeah, as much as possible. Uh, as much as possible. So, yeah. Good stuff, Bobby. Good stuff. Listen, thanks thanks again for joining us. Bobby, there's so much going on in the world. We've COVID-19 and then we had the murder of George Floyd in America. Yeah. We have people out marching on the streets and we, we finally seem to have uh, sports people coming out and speaking out against this murder. That was, um, I mean, I remember the, the Rodney King in the early 90s. That sparked a riot in LA. And, uh, and obviously now, a bit less than 20 years later, um, with George Floyd. And um, yeah, you had the police brutality. But especially in, in the United States, the, the racism has been there for God knows how long. It's always been like that. It will never change, um, in my opinion, because this is very deep 
deep rooted, and uh, obviously what I've what I've gathered is that obviously the in Washington they the putting through a bill which normally uh, takes longer, but obviously on severe pressure from the public. Um, all over the world now to to do something about it. Um, it's funny how, for example, you got uh, the quarterback um, Kaepernick come, you know, doing his uh, kneeling down, doing the anthem and stuff for that. And then you see a couple of years later they do this, and um, yeah, that was the whole reason why I believe he done it in the first place. Do you know what I mean? And um, I see a lot of people, governments, police forces, and stuff all over, um, thinking that uh, yeah, this just shows you something has to. The medic has to happen before people start to kind of listen. It's 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 unfortunate. It's just the way it is because otherwise, people will not be heard. And unfortunately, something dramatic has to happen in order for people, for things to change. So let's let's hope it will, and that it will open people's eyes. And um, yeah, it's all about you know Black Lives Matter, yeah, but also all lives matter. So you know, I think that's a point that needs to be made as well. As a young boy growing up in Holland of uh, Indonesian heritage, did you find any racism when you were coming through the the underage system in Holland? Uh, when I was at, um, <laughs> was my my first team, my local team. Yeah, I was called monkey and Chinese something because they didn't know. So ignorance, you know, it's, people didn't know at the time. I mean, talking about the seventies, eighties, early eighties. So yeah, the things were very, very much different then. Was I was there a lot going on? Um, I don't think there was where I stayed. Um, occasionally, but it wasn't because Holland is such a uh, he's well, it's a small place, but a lot of people from come from ethnic minorities, you know, ethnic backgrounds. And for yeah, it, it's if something racist would be said, yeah, but you just look around, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of Dutch people are who have foreign backgrounds, and so the racism might still be a little bit there. But it's kind of it's weird because we're all the same, you know what I mean? But, you know, a different color doesn't make a difference. But um, it's just the ignorance of people. So when I found out when I was younger, yeah, but not as often. Um, maybe I was fortunate. I don't know. But yeah, I had a, had a couple of incidents, but that's about it. I let it go of my head because I'm, I'm not Chinese. I'm not a monkey. So yeah, I do what you want. Disgusting, disgusting to call anyone that, Bobby, but um, especially... Yeah, and I know, I know, and it's and it's kind of like, but it shows you that, you know, words are words and uh, they're powerful, they can be powerful um, and it's not easy because some people are very susceptible for that and, uh, and sensitive towards it and to find it hard to kind of uh, step away from it, I'm just kind of learning to kind of let it go over your head, man, tell me. Yeah. Uh, Did you get any uh, racist comments from players as you moved through to the senior ranks or from, from fans? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't. Um, I'm just thinking now if, if that was, if I was called such, you know, certain words and I don't know what I would have done, I would have done, I would have, I would have responded, I would have felt like the referee, look, he's just doing that. I don't know. I'm, I'm that person. I'm like, I said, right. Okay. Yeah. I used this as a, as a fuel to kind of show them, you know, on the pitch, make, make them uh, swallow their words, so to speak. So if they would call me monkey, I'm like, oh, and then you make the decisive. You know, make something happen, right? And uh, you said that. If you wanna, if you wanna, you know, straighten things up, you just wanna do it on the pitch. You know what I mean? And prove them wrong. And that's it's just ignorance, right? It's hard, but people are just weird and rude and uh, not educated. It's just a weakness from that point of view. But it's not right, and uh, then it needs to be changed. Sure does, Bobby. Sure does, and people like you can change it by speaking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah, we are in a position where. Um, 
you know, where we've got a platform and we've got a following, and that's 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 why the social media is 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 um, is good to reach out to people. You know, it's not about drawing attention to yourself. It's not about just putting the message out there because you have a platform to reach out to a lot of people to hopefully make a change. And Bobby, the former coach of yours, John Barnes, has been quite vocal on TV this week um, speaking out. He's spoke out many times over the years about, you know, he says, it's, you know, it's a society problem. It's not just football's problem. This is a society problem. Yeah, yeah, I think John Barnes comes from, uh, from a different era, from different upbringing. And he's been through, you know, you know, three times when I would say it was at the time maybe what was worse supposed to be obviously his background. There's a problem, especially at the time the time of um you know in England. So yeah, there was a lot. If you if I see now the the movies and, and, and what you see on just uh, Daniel on TV and history, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. As well as my background, what I've experienced was a far less. So I could totally understand that when it's when things like this have happened, yeah, he's like, well, okay, that's now it's time to kind of like raise that again because talk about it because it's still happening, it's always happening, do you know what I mean? And I think social media is it's been in a way could just highlight it straight away, do you know what I mean? And um, yeah, I know it's been very vocal. Um, I've been doing that for uh, for for years, so hopefully to make that uh, make the point across. But you have to bear in mind he comes from he, he experienced a lot more of that in his lifetime, and I haven't in a way, fortunately, because. I can't even imagine when it was, you know, what these people have to have to go through. You know what I mean? Being yeah. kind of all these kind of things, and it's hard. It's, it's, it's not easy. But I'm glad that he's has been vocal about it, and so has Sterling now, and uh, so has been a lot of athletes from different uh, sports in different countries, and that's good. But not just black people, also you know white people and stuff like that. They've been vocal too because they don't appreciate it. So it's good that they, they are using it now, especially this day and age. Um, you can you can make it as well as maybe ten years ago it just wasn't you know what I mean because otherwise it would have happened already but it's just the way it is uh, through through time. Yeah, of course, Bobby. It was John Barnes that brought you to Celtic. Um, the system didn't really suit. No, I <laughs> know we wanted to play four two two two, and it was uh, yeah, kind of like the the times that Brazil used to play that system. I thought we were all up. We're not Brazil. Uh, we have when we had fantastic players. I, it's just I didn't gel. You had one Brazilian. Yeah, <laughs> I, show you by name and show you by nature. Uh, that was Rafael. Bear in mind, Rafael was he was a good guy. His name is freaking unfortunate, being here in Scotland, of course, but he didn't know that. <laughs> so obviously, that's the thing with the with the language, man. They just play with words. And <laughs> it, indeed, it was your second manager that moved yeah. him on fairly quickly when Martin O'Neill came in. Rafael was so close to requirements. Yeah, he, he does. It was very um, look. He can play, man. He can play football. I just as I didn't think it was, you know, the whole the whole climate and 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 and, um, and the football um, suited him. It's just the way it is. Just because, you know, I mean, he's got talent. He's got, you know, obviously Brazil national team and stuff. But yeah, I think um, so the certain uh, competition needs to suit you. And obviously the Scottish one didn't. And obviously, you know, if it doesn't go well, especially with the big club, a Celtic, and your name sounds like shite, then it's not, you know. And you play like shite. It's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> Bobby, he got kicked out fairly quick, but man, talk to you when you come in. There were some amazing performances that stick out. Obviously, the 6-2, you yep. very away when you come off the bench in the second half. Ajax, the goal. Speak us through a couple of them, will you? Uh, but the Ajax one was obviously it was um, you know my second my second season. Uh, I just had to prove people wrong because I know what I was capable of doing. 
I didn't get my confidence back up. So the club was going through a transition phase, you know, upstairs in, in, in the boardroom, but also obviously in the dressing room because there was a new generation of players coming through. And, and then after when Martin Neal kind of looked at what, what was there, obviously he's a smart guy, looked already before saying yes to South Dakota, already had a look, did his homework and had to look for himself. And then, you know, he got the players in that, uh, that he, he wanted to get into the team. Uh, into the squad and, um, and and made it what it uh, what has happened and, and uh, for me to get the opportunity to to showcase what I always know what I was capable of doing but I wasn't able to again different system in first year yeah adjust um, not been able to play in a, in a position where you, where you actually been playing for in Ipswich on the wing um, so yeah Marcel played uh, three five two and. Um, you know, during the preseason, during the practice uh, games, uh, friendlies, I was able to um, to get the nods eventually. For, I think it was very early in the season. I think this third game, so it's the second or the third game of the season to get the nod. And um, yeah, it was special. And uh, my first old firm game playing in it. Yeah, they couldn't, you know, and obviously Lou Vergaal, the Dutch manager there, and then noticed me. And uh, yeah, it just, everything fell into place. And I was getting a lot of stick from fans in, in Glasgow, Celtic, and, and the other side of the town and uh, of the city. And yeah, it wasn't very nice and it was tough. And I think uh, a lot of the people uh, had written me off and um, I thought, yeah, this guy, we don't want him back. And after that year, and I think a lot of players, football players would have left but I stayed and tried to prove them wrong it was kind of like the same scenario for me when I was in my first year at Ipswich and, uh, and I've adjusted myself and um, it took a year so yeah yeah it's been some great performances uh, from the team I was just part, glad to be part of it and um, yeah it's exceptional especially afterwards when you just look back at it and you get so much so, so appreciated by the fans and uh, yeah you've still a great relationship with the fans Bobby yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I'll, I'll stay here, and I'm. I mean, that's, I'm very easy, easy guy. You know, I mean, I, you know, I like the interaction with the, with the fans, with people. I appreciate what I've done, and um, yeah, it's just great. And I think a lot of the former players who played for Celtic Rangers, they they, are, they love it, yeah. And um, because um, back in Holland, they don't really get the appreciation because we have a different uh, mentality towards them, different attitude. But here, it's just fantastic, and that's when you realize how much it means to to families here. Yeah, once you've once you've played for the team, you've always been you'll be in in, in the hearts, and um, yeah, it's it's just nice. You're playing for cars when you come to Celtic, Bobby. Yeah, yeah, and if you know the history, you know, I mean, it's it's it. There's a lot of uh, similarities to my background and stuff, and, and, and the cause and you know what it's like. It it, uh, it touches a certain part of uh, of my life, and uh, I can relate to that. So yeah, that that full season under Martin O'Neill, treble winning season, you know, a brilliant yeah. season for you. But it, it could have been so much better. You got plenty of injuries, and th- those injuries, um, every time you seem to get called up to the Dutch senior squad, which was packed with superstars, like there was serious talent in that team. Every time you get called up, you seem to get injured. I seem to get injured. I got injured, and. Um... The first time we ever got, got called up, we played at home against uh, Motherwell and uh, hit a shot goal. I, I told my I told my groin, and, you know, my my family and friends didn't know, but they were congratulating me on being selected to the Dutch team to play against Turkey. And then I was like, really? Wow. But I'm injured. What am I doing? You know, so that was my first disappointment. Second, then um, after the Ajax game, yeah, you know, we supposed to, I was supposed to make my JV against England right off the lane. I got this, I was there, obviously got the shirt and I wasn't able to play because the day before the game, finishing on goal, and I told my hamstring. And then the third time 
I was gonna play against Andorra, and um, in training there was a the cross and finishing session and the ball played out to the wing towards me, but it, it, it kind of like was in the air and it bounced in front of me and I tried to get the ball down. So I got it down. As soon as I, my left foot touched the ground, pop, I could feel it. I finished the training drill, um, but I, 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 I knew that and I felt deadly embarrassed. I was, yeah, that was, that was terrible. And um, that was the last time because I, I never, I think the disappointment of going ups and downs, ups and downs and, you know, not playing for five weeks, six weeks, and then then playing, um, you know, in Europe straight away, and then you do well, and it's, it's, so the consistency wasn't there, and it's hard, man. And yeah, and then there was also a lot of things going on uh, at the time back home, and um, I'm quite a sensitive uh, player, being a winger as well. I mean, you always kind of like you feed off the public, and you know, feeding off uh, the service you get on the day, but personally as well, it's just uh, at home needs to be alright as well, and uh, yeah, that wasn't that had a combination of both. Yeah, but, uh, unfortunately, it stayed to those call-ups. And, uh, but I never, was never been able to kind of get back to consistent high standards, you know what I mean? It's unfortunate, but I was, I'm not happy with it, but yeah, it is what it is. And Bobby, going back to uh, saying that, because you always hear about the youth system. When yeah. did Henrik come in? When did you meet first meet Henrik? Uh, Henrik came in and it's in the year when I went on loan to RKC. Now, I would have been 93, I think, season 93. And uh, he came in. We did training session in the first weekend, and I, I actually left um, to go on to, to go on loan to RKC because Giovanni from Broncos, uh, my cousin and uh, my teammate at the time, he uh, he came back from from a very successful stint at, at RKC. With that in mind, they they sent me over there, and that's when the season when when Henrik came through, and um, yeah, that was then in '93. And it's weird how how football works. It's uh, not until let's say was it five six years later that you, you're, you're you're back in the same club and um, the same shirt and the uh, same goes for me Reggie Blinker you know what I mean um, he was always be he was the one that was in front of me uh, at Feyenoord um, you know when I was came through at, uh, when I was 16 I was at the first team and at the time Wim Janssen we all know Wim um, yeah. he, he, took me, he took me there so it's fantastic to look back and um, and, and see your, how coaches and, and players um, meet again at some stage of their, in their, in their active playing career. And it's nice. A couple of more players uh, I'm just going to bring up that you played with at Celtic. Uh, I'm going to go back to Celtic now. You've been known to have a, a good night out. And there's a famous Christmas night out where Tomo <laughs> was supposed to be looking after you in Newcastle. And uh, he didn't get arrested. You know, he was a good boy in his hometown. Um, just tell oh, us a little you? about yourself, Big U's, Johan, and a certain Mr. Neil Lennon getting lifted by the police. Oh, man, that was... What can I say, man? It's, I know you've heard different versions, different stories, but, uh, yeah, it just was... Uh, so that Neil got, I think, uh, arrested for just breaching the peace. Now, who would have thought that he would get caught for the A? And <laughs> knowing his, <laughs> knowing his, knowing his temper, um, so he was the first one to be honest. He stayed overnight. He was the first one to leave as well in the morning. Um, but obviously, the one to speak to me, Jos and and, uh, and and Joe and me first, because um, yeah, yeah. And obviously, said, "Do you need a lawyer?" I'm like, "I don't need a freaking lawyer." I'm like, "I've done nothing." Do you know what I mean? So obviously, thinking, you know, let's speak to Bobby first because that would be easy. That would solve the case straight away, and then obviously. The lawyers, so with the lawyer, then we all did our, we all did a bit, and was well, to be honest, it was just funny because we were, we were all kind of, you know, enjoying ourselves as you do. That's about Christmas night out, and it's just, what's 
going on. Because part of our selling arrangements were going to go meet in Newcastle, and that would be a story, right? Two old firms, business part in the same place in Newcastle. Great place, by the way. But they went to Manchester. We also went to Newcastle, and then something happened in a, in, in 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 a bar, and then then and then somebody spotted because there was groups there as well who who I wasn't who I didn't know. Um, that kind of following us around, and um, yeah, and then the, and then then the photographer got spotted, and then were, people ran up, and, you know. Then yeah, they just took. Uh, so someone, someone took the photographer's camera they, off, they, they, was it? Yeah, yeah, they took the camera off, and then um, you know, I mean, I I, I don't see things happen, do you know what I mean? But yeah, um, the guy was on last, but just I mean, I could I could still see it, man. He was he was going to the ground as if the, it's like it's, it's like the referee, right? When 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 he kind of pushed the referee and he just amazed a freaking mess of it, that kind of thing, right? I'm like, what are you doing? So I stood in front of him. So when when he got up, he obviously remembered. Oh, he must have been a runner. So so, so yeah. And then he got uh, he came to the to the club and walked past me. Didn't see me. Then he walked back out. That's him. And then I got lifted. I was like a scene out of a movie. Um, I left to put in a, put in a, a police car, and uh, then I drove past Didier and Bobo, and I started laughing, start pointing. <laughs> I was taken <laughs> away, right? In in a police car, I'm like, what the hell? What? What am I doing? He says, how long is this going to take? The car was just a couple hours. I was I was so naive. Um, I didn't know, you know. I was like, how long is it going to take? Because it's got a party to get to, back to. <laughs> a young so, young yeah. boys on a Christmas night out, probably. Oh because- man, it's. Yeah, but you're no stranger now to clubs. You're still going to clubs, but you're going now to do something different. You're a house DJ now. Yeah, the house DJ now. And to be honest, you know, the club and club is a different thing. It's more commercial. I, I don't necessarily like that. I like the underground sound more because it reminds me back of, of back in Holland. Um, there's a um, there was a club in Rotterdam, and um, yeah, it was underground house, man. That was early '90s, and uh, still that sound is still out. Uh, at the moment, and uh, what well, it will always be, though, it always has been. But I like that underground sound, and um, and um, yeah, it's just nice. I'll go to to where there's gigs, music gigs in SWG three or you know in the festivals. Um, yeah, it's it's, weird. it's not just house; it's techno, it's disco, it's all kinds. Depends on my mood, but yeah, clubs, clubs, no. But if there's a freaking gig, SWG three or any other great places like uh, the uh, the Bath, which is in East in East End. Um, they've got some very very good uh, perform uh, obviously acts performing and uh, it's just it's just cool. I mean music, man, music is life. Football, you know, it's the same. It, it connects people. It's just energy. It's rhythm. It's everything, and uh, that's why I like. Oh, I love it, Bobby. The energy of football and and the rhythm. I love it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you yourself, man. You like your reggae, you know. I do like a bit of reggae, yeah. Yeah, I have to say now I do like I like my reggae goes backwards. I don't go forward. I'm I'm, very, <laughs> I'm not as yeah, progressive as you. Yeah, but this is it. Music is is how you feel. You know, what I mean, music doesn't discriminate. You know, we talk about discriminating start of this this conversation. Music is you know doesn't discriminate. It, it's it's you either feel it or you don't feel it. You know what I mean? Music Whatever unites, genre, Bobby. Exactly. Music unites. Bobby, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure as always, and I'm looking forward to getting into one of these clubs to have a night out with you. Yeah, I'm going to play some reggae. Let's play yeah, some reggae. and, and, and Connor, <laughs> my son, who, who DJs as well, he's more on the old, your line. He, he loves techno. He's looking forward yeah, to no, catching I know he likes his techno. Yeah, I know he likes his techno. But, uh, I, I, know, I know you said a good conversation one night at one of the dinners. Correct. 
So he's he's on that's the decks right. now himself. So he said maybe he can do a double bubble gig. Yeah, that's, why not? Why not? Let's make why it happen. Listen, Bob, it's been it's been um, a pleasure as always, and, and hopefully we'll get you back on, and maybe we'll get some more nightclub stories. Yes, not a problem. Not a problem. Stay tuned. <laughs> Bobby, stay safe and we'll see you soon. In yeah, you too. See you soon. Yeah, yeah, we will, man. Let me know. Cheers, okay, pal. Cheers, man. Have a good one. Stay safe. Ah, it was great to chat to Bobby there. On the next episode of the podcast, I'll be chatting to Johnny Ward, a member of Nave Park Celtic Supporters Club and quite famous on the old acting scene from Love Hate, Fair City and he was also a bit of a mover on the floor in Dancing with the Stars. So once again, folks, thank you very much for listening and please hit that subscribe button hit the like button and tell all your friends. And please get in contact with us on social media through Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Give us your comments on the show. Let us know what you think and let us know who you'd like to see on the show. Or would you like to be on the show? Have you got a story to tell about following Celtic? Please visit our website, celticfanzine.com where you'll find all the information on the fanzine, news and articles on a daily basis and also you'll be able to dip into our shop and buy one of our new t-shirts. If you want to look cool down the pub, you want to be wearing one of these. Because let's face it, it's been a while since we got to the pub. So just before we wrap up, I'd like to thank our guests tonight, Bobby Petter and Charlie Lord. And I'd also like to thank once again our producer, Ronan McQuillan. So keep the faith and stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.